Hi, this is Arnie Leibovit, producer-director, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast. If this is your first time checking out the show, welcome. Every week we talk all things Disney and pop culture with never before heard stories, behind the scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and much, much more. I'm your co-host, Al John Goh. I'm a musician, longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars fan, and pop culturist. And you can email me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm your other co-host, Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, and author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Yay. Well, Al John, this is it. This man, is it. <laughs> another show. <laughs> exactly. And a big show too, because we were, we're talking about the Oscars. And yes, we're going to be talking about the Oscars. We've got a great guest, Jerry Beck, uh, who uh, is a terrific uh, animation historian. So we're going to have a great conversation with him. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much to talk about in terms of your predictions. And in fact, getting ready for this show and the Oscars, which I think are happening in what, March? Was it March something? March, end of March, something like that? Yeah, I, you know something? They keep sliding these things around, canceling them, uh, going online. I, I don't even know, uh, honestly. And I'm a member of the Academy. <laughs> March 27th, Dave. Thank you. Day. Okay, March 27th. <laughs> All I know is I've been binging, uh, uh, Al John. I've been watching so much uh, content uh, because the Academy Awards coming up. And the voting starts for us, uh, I think, next week. Well, that's that's interesting. I was going to ask you when it starts because they have, you know, X amount of time for 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 films to be nominated and, and go into contention. And then you guys have to screen everything, but, you know, beforehand. So and you've been watching a lot. I really have been. And, and you know something, I'm just going to give a quick rundown of some of the material I, I, I've uh, consumed <laughs> oh, just over the last week, my friend. Uh, I have to say, I've watched a ton of documentaries. I've watched The Sparks Brothers, The Real Charlie Chaplin, The Velvet Underground, and Val. And I have to tell you, Sparks Brothers, if you're a music fan... Uh, Got to see this documentary. It's yes. fantastic. I hear good things, uh, yes. Yeah, it really is great. The Real Charlie Chaplin, it, it is an in-depth uh, look at Charlie Chaplin from his earliest beginnings until the very end. Nice. And I have to tell you, really a, a very well-done documentary. And if you're a fan of Charlie Chaplin and the silent film era, this is a, a documentary you don't want to miss. Uh, the Velvet Underground, Lou Reed, uh, you know, Andy Warhol, the factory, the, you know, that whole period, you know, I have to say, this is a very avant-garde 
documentary. You think? Uh, yeah. <laughs> this, this uses a lot of uh, footage, I think, from Warhol, uh, where he just set up a camera in front of uh, people and, you know, they're just staring at the camera. There's a lot of that kind of footage. There, there's interviews with, you know, the various members of the Velvet Underground and, you know, audio recordings uh, uh, of uh, Lou Reed and things like that. Uh, this is a very different, uh, um, a very different documentary. I'm not sure everyone's going to love it. I, I like Lou Reed. I like the Velvet Underground. I like that period. Uh, you know, Max is Kansas City and, you know, places like that in, in New York City and the Velvet, uh, uh, the factory and Andy Warhol and all that. So, you know, just be warned. It's very avant-garde. You, if you're a fan of Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground, you'll enjoy it. Yes. Uh, and then Val. Yeah. Val Kilmer. Yeah. Holy mackerel. This was a really riveting, I thought, yeah, incredible uh, documentary. Have you seen it? I have. Um, Kristen is a, my wife, Kristen is a huge fan of Val yeah. Kilmer's. And so was I, you know, from Willow growing up and, and real genius and all the way to tombstone, of course, so something he he's made his own really. Yeah. And to see him in this stage of his life, you know, giving back to the fans, even through his adversity and everything that he's gone through is really riveting. Also very touching as well. Oh, just as a fan. absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. And you know what? I have to give him a lot of credit. He, he was, he was filming from the time he was a kid, yeah, you know, whether it was uh, super eight cameras or the early video cameras, he always has a camera with him and he, he's always filming uh, stuff going on in his life. Isn't it interesting and, that he's his own documentarian? Yeah. You know, you know I mean, that was, it was pretty amazing, but I have to tell you, you know, the fact that, you know, he has to speak through a tracheotomy yeah. um, and, you know, he's, he put himself out there yeah. there, there, you know, he, there's no holes barred here. Yeah. And I, I think this is well worth watching uh, to see uh, him. And, and by the way, I don't think his acting career is over. Yeah. I, I'm hoping that somebody out in Hollywood casts him just the way he is, yes. you know, as a character. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he, I think he's incredible. He's an incredible actor. Um, and this is a wonderful documentary and I, I really would highly recommend people see this if they have a chance. 100%. Um, yes. You know, I, I also went to the theaters. I saw Scream. Oh Yeah. Uh, in the theater, yeah. I loved it. I'm not a big, you know, horror kind of person, <laughs> like but me. I have to say, I enjoyed this one. It oh, was good. well done. Good. Uh, and I also saw the 355. Yeah, yeah, the female which, assassins, which is, right? Yeah, it's a sort of an ensemble cast. It was yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, there wasn't there wasn't much at the theaters this pe this past weekend, so uh, gotcha. I actually saw that. But on the smaller screen, I also watched Peacemaker on yep. HBO Max. Yep, I, I need to get to watched that. all of that. That that was kind of crazy. Yeah, um, I have to say. Um, I also watched the animated film Ron's Gone Wrong. Yeah, I heard about that. I have yet to see it. It's in the it's you know, in the queue. I, I, I'll tell you, this movie has a heart to it, and I really enjoyed it. If you like animated films, check out Ron's Gone Wrong. Yes, uh, and also on the small screen. The Righteous Gemstones. Okay, so what is this one about? 
if you haven't seen this, this is hilarious. It pokes fun at those mega churches, sort of a dark comedy. Oh, gotcha. With, with John Goodman as the, you know, the, the patriarch uh, of this uh, gemstone family. And they have one of those mega churches where they do their services in a stadium. That name's not ironic at all, is it? (laughs) No. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, this is, this is, uh, created by Danny McBride. So if you're uh, a fan of Danny McBride, gotcha. you're going to love this. Uh, it also stars Adam Devine, okay. uh, who's, who's really hilarious. I, I have to tell you, I, w- I had sort of a bit of a question mark as to whether I was going to like this uh, show. Mm-hmm. It's, absolutely hysterical it's funny as guys can be and i would highly recommend people check out the righteous gemstones and then of course over on netflix ozark has dropped its fourth season there you go and um that's really great i i watched the first i don't know four four episodes or so uh and uh that looks really terrific and then i watched all 15 animated shorts that are shortlisted for the Academy Awards. Yeah, how about that? That's that's so, a lot. So, yeah, and out of those 15, five will be selected yep. as the nominations in the short animated subject category. Uh, and, and of note, there's a really terrific animated short, and, and it's 30 minutes, but that, that falls within the shorts category. Mm-hmm. It's called Robin Robin. And okay. it's on Netflix. Yeah. And it's from Ardman Studios. Okay. And, and and it's about a egg, a robin's egg, yeah. that uh, rolls out of its nest during a storm and is found by a family of burglar mice. Yes. yes you heard me say it, burglar mice. Okay. And, and they adopt this robin once it hatches from the egg. And the robin becomes part of this burglar mice family. Okay. And it's hilarious. It's brilliant. It's Ardman. Uh, it, you know, I would, I would tell people, check it out. It's worth your 30 minutes uh, on Netflix. Uh, it is a funny, funny short. Awesome. Awesome. And, I- and beautifully done, by the way. Absolutely beautifully done. I love, I love the work that they do at Ardman. You know, the, the good news is, is that these shorts are really good and a lot of them are so riveting. It's funny. You'd think that having a short time span for to tell a story would be somewhat limiting, but it really isn't. It just seems almost freeing in a certain way. You know, it's like it, you need to tell a clear, concise story and however long it runs, it runs. But you know, you get those emotions out really quickly. Just, it's awesome. Yeah, and I, I have to tell you, you know, some, some of these shorts that are uh, up uh, for consideration are really terrific and beautifully done and works of art, you know? I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Well, please. So that's, uh, yeah. uh, that was, that was it. I, I got to tell you, Al John, it's been like, you know, with the, with the huge uh, COVID surge going on in Los Angeles, we've become hermits again. So we're consuming tons of content. 
Well, speaking of content, I know we're going to be, you know, plowing into it, you know, head first with Jerry in in the upcoming uh, interview. But are you also going to be reviewing a lot of the other films and things and scores and different things like that? Is that a- a- absolutely it's wow. part part of? I'll be voting uh, on the Academy Awards, and so I'm trying to watch as much material as I possibly can. Uh, and I have to tell you, I've watched most of the big animated features, which we'll talk about with Jerry uh that, that'll be shortly but we should probably I think jump to the news at this point let's do it Skull Rock Podcast ripped from the headlines it's Skull Rock Podcast headline news cha-ching cha-ching Disney CEO Bob Chapek's annual pay tops 32 million in fiscal 2021 as Iger makes nearly $46 million in his final year, the Magic Kingdom disclosed compensation for its top executives for the latest fiscal year, according to The Hollywood Reporter. It looks like Chapex compensation package totaled $32.46 million compared with the $14.1 million the previous year, which reflected challenges for the corona update to the pandemic. And of course, Iger's compensation with the company totaled $45.9 million compared with the 21 in previous fiscal year. Uh, Dave, can you gleam some you know, insight as to uh, these pay, uh, pay things, the uh, sell, yeah, you know, salary? The, Al, Al, John, these are, these are packages. You know, it, it's a salary plus bonuses plus stock options and whatever the value of those stock options are, you know, the, these are all put together. It's all done contractually with, with these executives. Um, I think the unfortunate thing about this, you know, the, these types of articles coming out is, is the timing, you know, because the, this comes out on the heels that Abigail Disney, the, uh, the granddaughter of Roy O. Disney, uh, has a documentary coming out at Sundance uh, that takes a look at what she claims is unfair labor practices at Disney. Uh, and, you know, so when you see these, the Disney CEO and chairman salaries coming out, and then you see this critical documentary being, you know, released at Sundance, you're sort of like, I mean, the optics are terrible. Let's just, let's just put it that way. The optics are terrible. Uh, Abigail knows what she's doing. You know, I mean, the no, timing. she's a filmmaker. You know, look, she's a filmmaker. She has her opinion. She, she's looking at it through her lens. Uh, and, uh, you know, these types of things are always, you know, from a filmmaker's point of view. Uh, so it's not necessarily telling the entire story. It's telling the filmmaker's story. So let's backstep just a second there with the, with the compensation, you know, you were talking about these being packages and things, stock options and all that, you know, uh, I mean, when you're running a multi-billion dollar company as Iger or Chapek is currently, uh, that's a lot of risk you take, you know, um, doing that. Look, the, the bottom line is, is that this is a competitive environment. You know, if you, you know, pay somebody a million dollars a year, uh, which is a lot of money. Uh, you pay them a million dollars a year to run a company like this. You know, your top drawer executives are going to be poached 
to go someplace else where they're going to get paid two or five or $10 million mm-hmm. each. You know what I mean? So, so this is all about the competitiveness of the marketplace and that's just the way it is. Exactly. And people are going to, uh, you know, grumble about it and, uh, you know, criticize it. Uh, but at the end of the day, you want, uh, you know, really smart, really skilled executives running these types of corporations. Did you happen to see the Abigail Disney doc yet? Because I know it debuts uh, on Monday as we drop this podcast, but uh, have you seen any? I I have not seen it. Okay. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. I definitely will be checking this out as I do anything um, that happens to do with the Disney company. Um, But Hey, look, it's a, it's an interesting, interesting thing. And I don't know if it's a first world problem, (laughs) you know, but but (laughs) we'll, we'll definitely, uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on this story. And and I'm sure it's not dropping on Disney plus. I would think not. (laughs) I would think (laughs) I I just, I I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to see it. I just don't know where I'm going to be able to see it. I'll, 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 uh, I may be able to share something with you then. Uh, Disney, (laughs) the next story for market screener, Disney creates international content group streaming push. And we know this is going to be happening. You know, the Bob Chapek had said um, the company has said that it's now has 179 million total subscribers across Disney plus ESPN plus and Hulu. I, I, and you, you are too part of that number. Uh, Disney plans to more than double the number of countries where Disney plus uh, is available to over 160 day. If that is huge. I mean, you were telling me and our listeners that uh, the streaming content's just a, you know, just part of the huge push Disney is and the box office is just a drop in a bucket by comparison. Well, I think, I think, look, as more and more people have access to the streaming platforms, you know, and again, it's all about the subscribers, the subs, as they call it, (laughs) you know, it's all about the subscribers and, and how many they can bring on. And this is, this is not just, you know, North America, this is, uh, you know, competitiveness across the globe. And uh, I'm not surprised by this article that there's an international content group because is, you know, look at the success of Squid Games That's and right. some of the films coming out of Korea. Um, you know, there there's a lot of content creators around the world that are turning out some really amazing, you know, shows and movies. And, uh, you know, uh, just uh, all I can say is, you know, this was a smart move for them. Yeah. You know, Disney has made a very concerted effort to attract people from Bollywood and to attract other other countries and China and, and things of that nature. So we'll just have to see. I mean, the audience is super diverse. And I know Disney has been at the very front end of that uh, for a long time. So once again, looking forward to seeing more great international content on the Disney Plus service. So Absolutely. Speaking of international, this is a very sad bit of news. We're moving into the sad part. And I, we hate to, you know, uh, report on this kind of stuff but it is reality and uh, actor J- gaspar Dutel from marvel's moon knight series has passed away untimely dave a very sad he passed away wednesday after a skiing accident reported by ap uh, news he was only 37 and his uh, tv show hadn't even aired yet and um you know we already have a, a huge huge loss 
Yeah, it, it's it's really sad. And, you know, it's a shame because this time of year, uh, every year, there are terrible accidents on the ski slopes, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. uh, it's it just uh, it, it's sad to it was sad to read this story. That's all I can say. Our heart goes out to the family. Absolutely. You know, he was a two time Cesar winning National Film Award France winner. So he had a very promising future. Yeah, he was a rising a rising actor in, in France. Absolutely. One of my uh, big influences growing up, you know, I, I was a big purveyor of instrumental surf music because my dad got me into it. Uh, the Ventures rhythm guitarist and co-founder Don Wilson passed away at the age of 88. Uh, I remember playing songs like Walk, Don't Run, and um, that was just an amazing, uh, you know, uh, amazing band i love the ventures i don't know if you're a huge ventures or a surf music fan uh i am uh i have to say a uh, big big fan of the surf music and uh you know this was uh something i i had missed until you pointed it out uh so this was uh you know but uh all i can say 88 he had a great life he had a great life and a bunch of great tunes so check it out on your streaming devices uh once again the uh uh it was that Seattle journalist St. Brian said that the guitarist passed away peacefully of natural causes in Tacoma, Washington. So once again, just an amazing talent there. Uh, Don Wilson, guitarist for the Ventures. And uh, I was going to say there, um, you know, with the Moon Knight, uh, you know, passing with that untimely passing, you know, the, uh, the Moon Knight trailer did set a bunch of records. I don't know if you saw the Moon Knight trailer. I, I have not. I'm going to watch it uh, later on. Yeah, it seems to be doing really well. I think it scored 75 million views over the first 24 hours, 52 million views online when the next were uh, uh, brought in from ESPN's broadcast there, uh, getting ready for the Super Bowl. And even more trailer footage is probably going to launch here in a couple of weeks when the Super Bowl airs. So congratulations to Marvel Studios. I think you have another hit on your hands. And speaking of a huge hit, uh, I remember... I remember seeing Louis Anderson several times when I worked in Las Vegas, and he was always so kind and generous. And unfortunately, uh, we have to report that uh, Louis Anderson, maybe you've heard of the uh, the recent passing. He passed away at 68. And uh, Dave, do you have too, any? Too young. Too young. Too young. You know, uh, I, I have some I have a friend uh, who worked with Louis Anderson on his animated show back in the 90s. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, again, here, here's a guy, I think he left us too early and, uh, from all accounts, from what everybody has said, who's known him, uh, he was just a really nice man. Yeah, absolutely. Really nice guy. Yeah. And when I would run into him, he was always really nice. So one of my friends said, Hey, I I remember us uh, sitting across from him having breakfast in Las Vegas. And it's like, yeah, every time, you know, we were out and about, you, you would always see him. He would not be afraid to hang and mingle with the audience that uh, paid to see him. So uh, rest in peace, Louis, you will be missed. Yeah. And another giant in the music industry, um, actor, singer, musician, meatloaf, bat out of hell, of course, Rocky Horror Picture Show, and Fight Club actor dies at 74. The rock star sold over 100 million records worldwide and appeared in 50-plus movies during uh, his career and uh, pretty prolific. 
Yeah. And, you know, I know uh, TMZ uh, was citing the fact that he passed away from COVID. Uh, and I think he, I, I, you know, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I, I think he was uh, sort of shrugging off the pandemic a little bit. Oh, well, that, that, that is a shame. Uh, well, yeah. well, having, having said that, I remember playing, <laughs> playing the uh, meatloaf role in the Rocky Horror Picture Show in college. That was me. Uh, so I, I definitely loved, I loved meatloaf. He was such a, a kind guy. It looks like he's, he's been a lot of great movies too, by the way, if you haven't checked it out. So please do yourself a favor yeah, and check it out. You know, I, 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 that was something I, I have to say, I, I didn't realize how much of an accomplished actor he was, Yeah. uh, but he really balanced this, uh, rock and roll, uh, life. Uh, and an acting life. Yeah. And I thought his career was, was, um, was really Rocky when he, um, uh, no pun intended, of course, with Rocky Horror Picture Show, but you know, <laughs> when he had lost his voice and I thought, you know, he would certainly just, uh, retire, but no, it didn't keep him down. Of course, you know, he's had some serious health issues over the past few years, uh, collapsing on stage and stuff. And, you know, it doesn't get any, any easier, but, uh, you know, rest in peace, Meatloaf. Uh, you've left a legacy of awesome work for us all to enjoy. So, and now you can rest easy. So, we will, I, we will miss especially you. Uh, especially that Bad Out of Hell uh, album. Man, wasn't I mean, it that, great? That even even today, it's such a great and powerful album. Yeah, it's like a rock. It's like a rock opera. You know? Yeah, and, it's amazing. Yeah, and his peers came out and and talked about how how influential that he was in the world of of singing and, and performing. So, absolutely. Well, Dave, you know, once again, great, the great news stories, great to catch up with that. But now we can catch up with one of your friends, Jerry Beck. Skull Rock Podcast, interview time. Well, Al John and our listeners, as always, we've promised a great guest and we have another one today, Jerry Beck, who is an animation historian, an author, a blogger, a video producer, and a uh, animation professor. Uh, Jerry has written several books. I mean, a, quite a number of books, actually, including The 50 Greatest Cartoons, The Animated Movie Guide, uh, not just cartoons, Nicktoons, The Flintstones, the official guide to the cartoon classic, and so many other books. If I read them all off at this point, I'd have to say goodbye to Jerry at the end of this uh, introduction because there's so much stuff to to, to say. But uh, I want to welcome you, Jerry, to the show. It's great to see you and, and have you on board here. Thank you, Dave. This is great. I'm excited about being on here. And uh, you are as knowledgeable, I think, as I am. So I think this will be an interesting conversation. You, you, know, you know something? No, I, 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 I disagree with that because I think you have a much broader view of the animation industry because really you're you're kind of an expert on uh, Warner Brother tunes, you know, Looney Tunes, Popeye the Sailor, uh, Woody Woodpecker. Uh, you know, I think you have a, a much broader uh, view uh, of the the industry um, well, and, yeah, yeah go ahead I agree with that no I, I i when i uh started getting into animation in my teenage years i was always interested in drawing i was always watching cartoons as a little boy a little kid uh took it seriously in my teenage years just as everybody i knew was getting losing interest in animation uh, because we're now getting to be teenagers and grown-ups this is in the 1970s 
Uh, and uh, but I, I I love the whole thing about animation. I love all the studios. I love Disney, but I. I loved Warner Brothers cartoons. I lived in New York. I grew up going to the Museum of Modern Art, and they would have all those screenings of, uh, you know, the best of Annecy, the best of Zagreb. They'd show shorts and features from around the world. So I had that in my background suddenly. And, um, uh, you know, it was SIFA uh, East is still there. It's the International Animation Organization. I joined that in the 1970s and got to not only see a lot of animation from around the world, but also meet people like Bruno Bizzetto and Osamu Tezuka. And I mean, wow, I mean, it was uh, a great time uh, to get involved in the universe of animation and animation history. So um, I've always been a champion for the other studios that aren't Disney. And the only reason for that is, and I love Disney, uh, is that uh, even in the 70s, the uh, Christopher Finch book came out, remember? Yeah. I think that was like 75 or 73 even, I think. And, yeah. Uh, there was there was a sudden interest in Disney animation, um, you know, just in general happening in the '70s. So I found um, the fact that Warner Brothers cartoons weren't written about um, that uh, when I started watching the cartoons as a teenager, I realized they were not aimed at children. They were aimed at the grown-ups in the audience in 1945 or things like that. And that's been one of my missions in life is to remind people and now educate students that animation wasn't just a kid's medium, that it, uh, that it's a, uh, it's bigger than that, and uh, and all those cartoons you thought were kids' cartoons, or at least the older ones, uh, weren't really aimed at kids, and uh, that's part of what I do. And yeah, no, and and I, I think that's a absolutely fantastic because there's so much material out there that's been produced over the decades, and some of it is slowly being forgotten, and, and it's people like you and others who are you know keeping some of that material in in the in the forefront. Uh, and, and by the way, you do it as well by putting together screenings. Uh, and, um, and hosting screenings. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, uh, I I speak I, I, I in L.A. I, I had done this in New York uh, before. I moved here in 86, just in from New York City, and I live in L.A. now. And uh, I, I'd, I'd always put on shows at re repertory theaters. Uh, later, once I moved to L.A. and started writing some more books, I... Uh, uh, do that at museums, at uh, uh, different, you know, institutes, schools. And, um, you know, I, I love it. I love reintroducing people to seeing cartoons the way they were on the big screen. That's part of it as well. Uh, I do that. Of course, I should mention uh, uh, the, the blogs that I do. I do cartoon research, as you know, Dave, because you are. Yes, full disclosure to our audience. I actually uh, am a contributor to cartoon yes. research. Yes, and we try to get good scholarly articles on there. And, um, uh, you know, we just keep it keep it going, you know, perpetuating about the history is turned into my and turned into my life. I think the first half of my life was learning of the history and and trying to help spread it. And the second half of my life now is uh, educating the younger people uh, who all grew up in the last 20 years in the 21st century and didn't grow up like we did with daily viewings of 
classic animation, the Mickey yeah. Mouse Club, the Looney Tunes on TV. They didn't grow up with that. So sure. yeah, remember uh, uh, we uh, we had on the local channels in New York, we had Officer Joe Bolton. <laughs> oh, yes. and, and do you remember Captain Jack, who used to show the uh, the Popeye the Sailor uh, cartoons? Absolutely. I, I love all like the ch- channel. I think it was channel nine W O R and, uh, and channel 11 W P I X and, and channel five. I, I, yes. Yes. W. Yeah. They had like, uh, we can go on and on about them, but they had like Chuck McCann and Sonny <laughs> yeah. Fox, uh, all those, all those, but I, what I loved about those shows and I got a chance to see some, uh, rare, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, surviving, you know, tape, of some of those shows, Chuck McCann had some, Sonny Fox had some, and that reminded me, it, it really was not only nostalgic, but I remembered they weren't, they never talked down to the kids. They did entertaining comedy bits and things like that, but they would look at you right in the camera and introduce a Heckle and Jekyll cartoon as if it were the most important thing in the world. But, it, but you know, that's what I like about, that. some of that got rubbed off on me. I. I think it's, uh, you know, uh, you know, we see we're we're now we're now used to like TCM with their hosts talking reverently about uh, classic movies as as they should. Uh, But the idea of doing that and talking reverently about the cartoons when they were made, I think I seem to remember people like Captain Jack and, and, and others you know, actually giving us little itsy bitsy bits of history about them uh, here and there. And, um, you know, we need we need more of that, I think. It's something. Yeah, else. no, I, I think it, it's not only documenting it, it's just celebrating it, you know, because uh, there was so much great material that was produced uh, over the years and, and even more so today. I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, when you were coming out here to California in 1986, it, the animation business was just kind of bouncing off of a, a real sort of low spot. Uh, I oh, think. yeah. I, I, I'd like to find others who uh, agree with me. My theory is, is that the seventies was the, is that the, is the word nadir the correct word of when it was at the depths of, I don't know, I think that's the heights, but, but it was really at the, the depths of, the, of, of itself. And, uh, and the eighties were pretty bad too, except this is like a, this could almost be the whole podcast. We can just talk about when did the, the nineties Renaissance start? Because obviously it was started really in the eighties and there were a lot of factors that led to the, what we call now the nineties Renaissance factors like uh, Roger Rabbit, the little mermaid, the Simpsons. Uh, 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 the, uh, yeah. American tale. I, I, I always point to American tale who framed Roger Rabbit and the little mermaid. I agree. The, those are the three films that I think, you know, showed uh, the suits as it were at the studios mm-hmm. and animation could actually make money. Right. Right. There were, there was, there were a few others to get really micro into it because, uh, cause I actually talk about this and think about it too much, but, uh, let, let's, if you don't mind for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do we'll, it. We'll, we'll just go. Okay. So here's where, here's what, here's the way I look at it. This is pre 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 prenatal is Don Bluth leaving the Disney studio with his 11 people that they yeah, that yeah. 79 or something. Yeah. And then, and then doing secret of Nim doing the secret of Nim, which, failed at the box office. Again, I could go on and on about yeah. that. But, but it, it at least proved you could do a film that looks not like a Disney film of that era, but 
actually looks like a Disney film from 30 years earlier. Yeah. And, um, and, and by the way, uh, you know, Secret of Nim is a beautiful movie. Yes. It's yeah. an absolutely beautiful absolutely new movie. And, and if, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm talking to our audience here. If you haven't seen The Secret of Nim, you really should take a look at it. Yeah. And the, the, the Secret of Nim led to, they had Jerry Goldsmith doing the music and that led to Jerry Goldsmith to showing the film to Spielberg because Goldsmith was at that same time doing Poltergeist. Right. So he showed the film to, he knew Spielberg was into old cartoons and he, he showed it to him and, and that brought, you know, uh, them together. Now, um, I'm leaving out the whole uh, Bluth with video games and all that stuff. That also happened in that that post-NIM era in the 80s. And then, yeah, and we should mention to the audience, when we say video games, we're talking about Dragon's Lair. Right. And we're talking about Space Ace. Right. The, those right. were the two uh, uh, early video games that employed full you know, Disney quality animation. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just, just, just fantastic at that time. Those are kind of forgotten, but they're not part of propelling the, the nineties Renaissance, but I, clearly- I were, I worked on those. You did. Oh, I did work on those. Yeah. I worked. Uh, I worked on those right after Cal, right after I graduated Cal arts and before I started working at Disney. That's great. I mean, I, I, I uh, uh, <laughs> at some other point we'll trade this, our stories and how they intermix because I was at United Artists for the Secret of Nim, and I was became very good friends with uh, Don and John and Gary and all that at that time. But that's beside the point. So the the um, so that led to um, later on, uh, obviously American Tale coming out by Universal Spielberg, a big push. I still remember the billboards on on Sunset Boulevard and. Um, that was definitely a key factor. But before that, here's something people forget. This is going to be, this is so off the radar uh, of the way we think about this, but it's a factor. In 85, um, there was a little movie based on an innocuous characters that we all sort of vilify now. Uh, and those characters were the Care Bears. And remember, there was yes. a movie called the Care Bears movie, and people forget that movie made a fortune. Yes, that it movie did. Came out, it was distributed by the Samuel Goldwyn Company, an independent company, and it blew the socks off of anything else. It was one of the movies that I think that the Disney people and others looked at and go, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, it made a lot of money. I forgot, I think I want to say 25 million, which at the time was a lot of money. And uh, that led, strangely enough, the next year, if you look at the filmographies, if you, I, I have a list on my on my animation scoop blog, I have my book, the animated movie guide. If you look at the full list of, of animated features, in '86 there was this strange uh, uh, explosion of movies based on things like the Care Bears, you know, uh, like the My Little Pony movie. I was just about to say My Little Pony. Yeah, all that kind of, there's a whole bunch. You know, the, yeah. the, the Attack of the GoBots or whatever, you know, all that stuff was came out like the next year because everybody, the TV producers all thought, whoa, you put a TV property into the movie theaters, make a fortune. They got the wrong message from that because that movie, the Care Bear movie, it's <laughs> not the greatest thing in the world, but it's not horrible. It's actually got full animation and it's actually quite gentle and nice. Uh, It's not what we think of when we think of that kind of film. But uh, that was a film that, again, you say about Waking Up Hollywood, that was kind of like the first salvo, and the second salvo has to be American Tale. And um, uh, for sure on that one. And um, and then, of course, uh, Disney going undergoing its transition from the 
previous, you know, the Ron Miller era to the Michael Eisner, Jeffrey Katzenberg era, as you know, and um, uh, which of which uh, they went from something like the Black Cauldron uh, to lucking out by, I think, in production was the Great Mouse Detective. You may know more about that aspect. But then yeah, you know, I, I was going to interject here that, um, you know, when when that management changeout happened, uh, Michael Eisner, Frank Wells uh, and and eventually Jeffrey, who, who they mm. brought in, uh, they were going to shut down uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios. Uh, at the time, it was Walt Disney Feature Animation. Uh, they were going to close it down because, A, they hadn't had any experience with animation, didn't really understand it, and they were coming into the studio on the tail end of the Black Cauldron. Right. You know, which, which by the way, the famous story is Jeffrey wanted to go in and recut, and so he wanted to see all the outtakes Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> Let's quickly, quickly learn there were no outtakes. You know? <laughs> don't do it like that, Jeffrey. <laughs> I know it, it was pretty, it, it was, it was sort of a pretty crazy time, but you know, it, it was like, there was this glimmer of hope, like you said, with some of these other films that were, were coming out. But at the same time, it was a pretty dire, um, uh, you know, atmosphere because, you know, I think also in the late, uh, I guess it was the early eighties. They had the big animation strike. Yeah, that's right. You know, and, and, and and that, that shifted the whole industry because an enormous amount of work that was being done in town shifted at that point to the overseas studios and mostly, mostly television animation or what we would refer to as Saturday morning uh, cartoons. But anyway, we, we have to hand it to Spielberg, uh, because his personal interest in classic animation, um, you know, and, and producing things like American Tale and uh, Roger Rabbit, or at least being involved, you know, really, he was the gatekeeper between, or if that's the right word, the, you know, between Hollywood, who couldn't care less, and, and the animation community in, in many ways. And, uh, and, and the success of the projects he was involved with uh, including later on, I think by, I think it was 89, uh, Tiny Toons. Yes, you know, Tiny Toons. Warner Brothers, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. All of those things were factors in bringing about the 90s, uh, the, what we think of as the 90s uh, uh, renaissance. By the way, uh, uh, we, said the, uh, we said the Simpsons, but I do want to, I know you worked, I know you worked on Ren and Stimpy, didn't you, Dave? Yes, I did, yes. And, and I only mentioned that because whatever you think about all the craziness behind it, that was a pivotal show. That was an important show. I mean, it, it, it really was one of the groundbreaking shows that was uh, w- what we would say is the beginning of adult uh, animation uh, fair on television, which is commonplace now with, you know, The Simpsons and with, uh, you know, uh, BoJack Horseman and, uh, you know, shows like that, Archer, those types of shows that are really focused and, and geared towards an adult audience. Well, that's the thing is, as this renaissance was happening in theaters, unbelievably it was happening at the same time with different people, some same, some same people, but mostly different people on television with things like The Simpsons, with the Nicktoons debuting on Nickelodeon. That was a big effing deal because um, TV animation was practically Yo-Yogi is the show I think of. It was practically Hanna-Barbera and Filmation and that's what TV and Deke, that's what TV Ruby Spears uh, was Ruby Spears. early on, yeah. And, 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 and adventure 
adventure animation had this Johnny Quest look at that or an anime look. And that was it. You know, Batman later, I'm talking now, I'm moving on here, but Batman was a show that changed a little bit of that aspect of it. And um, uh, it was just a great period of the second coming, if that's the right word. You write about 86. I've determined to myself, because uh, I talked to others like our friend Tom Cito, I, 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 we're always debating where, what, what year do you think it went from the old days to the new days? I don't know exactly still to be truthful, but I'd say 86, 87 is definitely on the tightrope cusp of that because before 86, 87, or maybe even right to that point, Animation up to that point is mainly dominated by the old timers. I mean, right. the, the people from the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, yep. who are still in the business. Somewhere in the universe of 86, 87, 88, us new folk came into it. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, and that's where the beginning of the, you know, some fresh blood and new thinking was was brought into into the into the industry. Yeah, and I was going to say it's the whole industry because yeah. you had you had all of those old timers who were working with Hanna Barbera and some of those other studios, as well as the you know nine old man at Disney who were starting to retire during that period. So it it really was industry wide that there was this shift of new blood coming in across uh, the studios, but there was still a small number of studios. I mean, you could pretty much count them on one hand. All Almost right uh, in Los Angeles that were doing the bulk of the the work. You know, like you mentioned, Hanna Barbera Filmation, Ruby Spears. You had some boutique studios. Yeah. Uh, you know, you had Disney. Right. Um, you know, and Disney actually with the new management, they actually started getting into television animation and start set up their whole Disney right. TV animation group and all of that. But it really has exploded since then. Uh, I mean, because we've seen so many changes. I mean, you know, the Motion Picture Academy uh, for the Academy Awards added uh, a category for feature animation. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you remember Beauty and the Beast, there was no uh, 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 feature animation category. Uh, and that year, Beauty and the Beast was nominated in the best picture category. Right. right. You know, you know, um, I, I'm going to say something I haven't heard anybody say when they talk about that. We all talk about how Beauty and the Beast was the first nominated. We talk about how Shrek was the one, first one to win the new award. Yeah. It just happened to be that year that they won that. It's, it's actually kind of amazing that DreamWorks won the first one. But, um, uh, but I'd like to throw in something here, which is um, that we, we tend to kind of forget, which is Snow White did get a special award. No, no, I, yeah, I get that. Yeah, you know, Snow White absolutely got a special award, but it was a special award. It's right. just it, it's just like, you know, James James Basket got right. a special award right. for acting. Right. Uh, and that was, what, 15 years before uh, Sydney Poitier, yeah. right? That's right. So, yeah. uh, and no, and, they, don't, right. and they don't mention him. But I, 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 I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's an asterisk that I think we is mentionable. Yes, it, it is. You know, and, and that wonderful, that wonderful uh, Snow White Academy Award was the statue with the the seven little statues coming off of it, which right. I think you can see now up at the uh, Walt Disney Family Museum up in the Bay Area. What a great museum, by the way. Let's yeah, yeah. point that out. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. 
Yeah. But, but it, it seems to me though, that once that category came into being, we already had quite a number of studios that were starting to do feature animation, you know, because oh. you, you had Warner brothers getting back into it. You had Sony pictures, you had uh, illuminations, you had blue sky studio. Uh, now we have Netflix uh, animation. Oh, yeah. Studio, yeah. Which is just off the charts. Uh, uh, with uh, what they're producing, yeah, um, I, and- I, I totally agree. The uh, when they started, I remember when they started the, uh, the the category, which of course we must mention, June Foray fought for for I think at, at least ten years, if not right. Longer. Yeah, and the uh, they finally did it, but it had to be because from '95 up, you know, you had. Well, think about the films that didn't win because they came out before that award. Toy Story, right? You know, the Iron Giant. Yeah. I mean, great films that should have gotten an Oscar, and they, they there was no category for it. It was like a the time had come. You know, uh, the time had just come for it to be. By the way, I think that happened back in the 30s with the short subjects. Uh, my theory is, it may be more than a theory, maybe truth, is that the Academy wanted to give Walt Disney an award because even by 1932, he had been uh, perfecting animation in a way that no one had done before. Um, and, you know, he had, you know, shorts like, well, he, he, had, he, had, he, had, he hadn't even introduced color yet, I don't think. But, oh no, but actually, the first, the first award that he won, the first... Uh, Academy Award for short subject is Flowers and Trees. Right, but but prior to that, he did get the special Academy Award for the creation of Mickey Mouse. I see what they what they what I think they could see then was not only did he create Mickey Mouse, which is okay, that's a fad. You might you might think in the early thirties, but they could see he was progressing the field. He yeah. was clearly an artist. He was above the other guys. They wanted to give him awards and there was no award to put him in. So I believe they created the best animated short award for Disney. Yeah, which, that's all which, that I, was. which I, I want to say he won. I think it was, was it eight of the first 10 Something uh, like that. I, I think it was something yes. like that. It was yes. like eight of the first 10 Academy Awards for Best Short Subject. I need to tell you that um, a book, I have like four books in my head that I want to write. I've been <laughs> you, you and me both. And I, one of them, please don't steal this from me, Dave. Dave. I won't. I won't. Dave. Dave uh, no. this is, I'm going to put it on the air just so that you uh, okay. have it down that Dave is not stealing this from me. Not that, he does, <laughs> <laughs> not that he steals ideas of his guests. He brings on people to give them great ideas. No. Uh, the... Uh, Damn no, it, I, you found me out. No, no, I, I, well, you do so many books on Disney and, and ask, but this isn't a Disney book per se. The, the idea I have is to do a book on, uh, on, uh, the, uh, the, the, award, the Academy Awards, the history of animation from the point of view of the Academy Awards. Oh, where, I think that would be an awesome one. And I, I started doing some of it. I started printing some of my research a, a few, about a year or two ago, I think, on, on animation, uh, on, on cartoon research where, uh, I went through several years. Years from the 50s into the 70s, I think. Uh, I've forgotten myself what I did online, but I, maybe through the 80s even, uh, where I listed what was n- not just what won, what was nominated and won, but I, I found the paperwork of what was s- submitted to the Academy. Yeah. And I yeah. found that very fascinating. And um, um, I, anyway, I think that um, 
I forgot where I was going on this, except to tell you that. No, no. I mean, a book on uh, on the uh, Academy Award oh, oh, nominated winning shorts. Right. No, no. I, but I right. And I, I what I was going to say was you had brought up um, that uh, Disney won the first uh, ten years or so, except for maybe one year. Um, I, I I've been researching this for a while and. and uh, 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 you know, thinking about it a lot, uh, the whole 20th century of, of the Oscars. And in that beginning period, um, Disney was completely, as you know, in the 30s, you know, the shorts were his bread and butter, but it was also where he was experimenting. Yes. Multiplane and color, yeah. this and that, and everything, character animation. So uh, his focus obviously was on the shorts. I think the year that he didn't win his focus was kind of finally off the shorts. It was like 1940 or 41. It was a, a short called The Milky Way from MGM by Harmon and Ising, which he had no rivalry or uh, comp competitiveness with. They were his former colleagues, as you know. But yeah. he also even you know, used their studio to help out uh, with inking and painting on Snow White and the animation of Babies, as you may know. Mm -hmm. The... Uh, uh, so he had no rivalry, but the, they, you know, you know, he just, in fact, I think that year, and I could be wrong, I should look it up and be accurate about this. It's possible Disney didn't nominate anything that year. His focus that year was Fantasia, you know, uh, uh, Pinocchio, Fantasia, and what he was doing at that time. And, and, you know, the shorts were like secondary as far as he was concerned. Um, there's some exceptions to that. I, I do think, though, that he submitted every year that they were making shorts. You know what? And, and you're going to have to check this. But while you're checking that, I do want to say that, um, you know, times have really changed because, you know, if you go back to the 1980s, mm -hmm. you were lucky if every, you know, year or so there was a feature film coming out. Right now, today, for, for mm -hmm. 2020, there are 26 films, right. feature animated films in the running for the Academy Awards. 26. Is that unbelievable? That's unbelievable. But before the uh, pandemic, there were actually in the last, you know, 15 years or more, uh, 15 years or so, there's actually probably been that much or even a little more. But I, I know you're, I get your point. We yeah, actually, no, uh, yeah, I mean, in recent years, we're seeing this many, but I'm talking about 26 for 2020, yeah. as opposed to if you go back 30 or 40 years, you were lucky if there were, were two or three or one, you know? Dave, uh, first of all, to uh, end our other thing, I want to make this clear. I'm right. Um, in 1940, there were three nominees, The Milky Way, The Puss Gets the Boot, the first Tom and Jerry cartoon, and A Wild Hair, the first Bugs Bunny cartoon. And no Disney's. Disney was every other year they run the next year and everything. But uh, uh, so that was an unusual, odd year. And I really think Disney's eye wasn't on the ball because... They just made Fantasia. They, they put out, you know, Pinocchio. I mean, th th Disney's personal eye was in another place. It's possible they didn't even submit short, which is hard to believe. Uh, the uh, as far as uh, what you're saying about how, the amount of features, that's what led me in 1995 to begin work 
that it didn't, my book didn't come out until I think 2005. I, I started to create a list of every animated feature released in the United States. I have a lot of qualifiers on this list. Okay. And, uh, and by the way, this list is on my cartoon research website. It's listed under uh, the title, uh, The Animated Movie Guide, which is also the name of a book I put out in, nine, in 2005, which is basically the idea then was to list every animated features released in the United States because quite frankly, if you added in Canada, I mean, sorry, uh, Japan, just alone, you know, the book would be triple the size. Right. So I, so I, if, if the film was released, if Akira was released in the United States, if, you know, if, if Japanese anime was released in the United States, uh, uh, I list it. It's listed. Yeah. It's in there. But if it's not, I, it's not, it's not listed. But the thing is, um, I started keeping track of this for a variety of reasons. And absolutely, you're right. There are, there may be a year where there was no animated feature. I don't know offhand. Well, yeah, way back in the 40s, maybe there might have been a year. But um, Disney dominated animated features, uh, you know, for at least 20 years, at least. The, I, I tell my class the, uh, uh, I, I try to quiz them on this, but nobody ever gets it. What, what, what was the first animated feature produced in America? Uh, and what year what, did it come out after Mr. Bug Goes to Town? Mr. Bug Goes to Town and Gulliver's Travels, the two Fleischer features, right. like 39 and I think 41, 30, 41, right. Uh, those were the only American-made rival films to the Disney features. Uh, and, and the thing is, we're all so used to a animated features now, but it's hard to believe that the, I'll give you the answer, the, the next American-made, fully American-made animated feature re released in the United States, made in the United States, was Mr. Magoo's, you know, A Thousand and One Arabian Nights yeah. feature, which was 1959. Yeah. Uh, directed by Jack Kinney, by the way. Yes. Uh, and uh, former, former Disney right. uh, director and story artist. A, re a real missed opportunity for a lot of reasons. It could have been a great UPA feature. It could have been a better movie. It's just they, they dropped the ball with that film, unfortunately. That's not one of my favorites. Some other time you can have me on, we can just go through the entire list of everything and we can just give opinions about each film. I know. We, we actually should do that. We should go decade by decade. Yes. <laughs> We're doing the 30s. We're doing the 50s. No. <laughs> but, uh, no but, but, I mean, you know, Jerry, it, it's amazing because when you get into the 70s, you know, you did have uh, Ralph Bakshi. Right. Uh, you know, he did Fritz the cat he did heavy right. traffic but he was doing films that we, i think you would consider to be um adult oriented avant-garde almost uh even you know like uh american pop uh yeah. And, yeah. and he a lot of people don't remember but he did the first uh adaptation of lord of the rings right i, I actually think a lot of the lord of the rings fans remember and actually i saw it again I worked for United Artists when that movie came out, and I have to tell you that my initial impression at the time was I didn't like it, and I thought yeah. it was boring. But let me say this. I, I had to do a Q&A with Ralph about, I don't know, within eight years ago or something like that here in L.A. on the Arrow Theater. I was asked to do it, and the movie they were showing with before the Q&A was Lord of the Rings. And I remember saying to myself, I don't want to sit through it again, but you know what? I better because I'll, I'm going to be doing a Q and A, and I'll want to ask him some questions about it. So I sat in a theater, movie theater on a big screen, watched Lord of the Rings again. I was surprised how much I liked it. I, yeah, I, 
I don't know why, but I, I, I never thought, I never thought it was terrible, Yeah, uh, but I did think it was a sort of heavy handed in its rotoscoping. Yeah. I think that might've been why I didn't like it in the first place, but this time as the story and and how he's telling the story, I thought it did a pretty good job of that. So, yeah. You know, but, you know, again, uh, you know, when we 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 sort of fast forward to, uh, you know, the all of these studios now are, you know, have these incredible schedules of how many well, films. I think we are we are absolutely in a in a, a new golden age. That's for sure, because new stuff is happening. Progression is happening with yeah. originally with Walt Disney from the from the, his beginnings from 1930. Till he passed, um, the studio always progressed. I know it doesn't seem like that much in the 1960s, but I can, I, I can point out things that they did new sure. then. And then, then what happened is Disney passes, and we don't have a leader. Animation has no leader. It's not just the Disney studio. There's no leader in the entire world of animation. Right. So there's a few people who pop up kind of here and there. There's a few things that pop and happen, like. Um, here and there, Bakshi is one of them. I, I want to mention another uh, article I wrote that that you and I could do a whole uh, podcast on. I did an article on uh, on assignment. Variety called me up and they asked me if I could do a list of uh, uh, you know a ten. Uh, animation game changers. I think this was about 10, 12 years ago and right. it's online and it's like, and I, I didn't even know, I said, okay, this is an interesting challenge and it, it turned out to not be a challenge at all for me, but, uh, but it's, there might be a little bit of controversy on the list, but I think it was a pretty good list and I don't know if I can think it all right now off the top of my head, but, but I, um, uh, but what I put on the list off the top of my head was, uh, I did it in chronological order and I wrote a little bit about why it was a game changer. But I put uh, Gertie the Dinosaur. Of course. Right. Uh, then I put, I think, without unless I'm forgetting something, I then put Steamboat Willie. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah, of right? course. Yeah. The word of course after everything. Uh, yeah. Then uh, uh, Snow White. Of course. Right. Um, <laughs> now, I might be something I'm forgetting. Like, I might have put a Bugs Bunny, like, wild hair, but not. Let's, let's say I didn't. And then I think the next thing I might have had on there might be Gerald McBoing Boing. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> of it's course. UPA. It represents all of UPA. Yeah, no, then, but you know something? There was a very important shift in animation yeah. in the 1950s to a much more flatter, more graphic, uh, right. the, that UPA style. Right. You can even see that style creeping into Disney shorts. Absolutely. If you look at some of the Mickey shorts, I think Mickey's Christmas tree. Oh, uh, oh not no, Pluto's Christmas tree. Uh, well, you know, which one, you know which one I show in my class to illustrate that point? And I'm, we're not talking about the extreme ones which i show too like toot whistle plunk and boom those were intentionally but cartoons like um plutopia which has that little dream sequence that's all Uh upa style yeah Uh, anyway there's uh, there's a few in that direction but the um i think the next one i had on my list without looking and it might be something in the middle that i'm not thinking of is um believe it or not the flintstones Right. No, no. I I would say, of of course, on that, because, you know, that was really that almost to me was an adult. uh, You know, it it was sort of a uh, uh, inspired by the honeymooners kind of. uh, It was totally people. If go back and look at the first two seasons, it's not aimed at children. It's the grown up. The um, the. I think the next one is 
might be Fritz the Cat. Because my criteria on Game Changer is that in its wake, all of these things, yeah. in its wake, it changed the game of animation. Now, what I mean by that, the 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 um, the perceptions. the perceptions, the reverberations from Fritz, not only led to a lot of X-rated car, uh, cartoons, of feature cartoons by other people beyond Bakshi, but yeah. also, but also as late as the as late as the Black Cauldron. I know it's hard. How do you how do you put the finger from how do you draw the line from Fritz the Cat to the Black Cauldron? But I don't think. The, the whole 1970s into the early 80s, there was this period of what I call darker films. Yes. Films, animated films that were a little like like Watership Down uh -huh. or, you know, or heavy metal, you know, the things like that. There was this more adult, more darker tone. And, um, uh, you know, and I think Fritz is the beginning of that. Um, and, and so I think that was a key factor, not to mention Fritz could be set, set as inspiring the films, the shows you mentioned before, South Park and other things like that that might not have been if there hadn't been something like Fritz way back then. Um, I'm forgetting an important thing I'd like to quickly mention that I, I always tell people when I talk about this list is a film I leave out intentionally that someone might say that's a game changer and I'll go no it ain't I wish it were and that film was 1968's Yellow Submarine which yeah. really was a change but it didn't inspire anything nothing no, no. It, 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 it was different and it and it, yeah. it hooked into popular culture with the beatles right uh but uh from an animation standpoint it, it was pretty rudimentary stuff right in fact it might have been to me um it's almost the upa film that upa never made uh, george dunning the director was actually a upa director uh -huh. it, 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 it it's that's the film they should have come up with something that looked like that in 1959 but they didn't but um, <laughs> like i said it, the, it, there was not a spate of uh, of uh, of rock and roll animated features or psychedelic animated features i can point to one or two things like commercials that were inspired by it and uh, one might say the point, you know, the the direct of, uh, the made for television uh, film from Fred Wolf, but that's but even that, you know, it, it, yeah. Yellow Submarine was in its own little universe. The um, but it I, did it did tap into the Peter Max, uh, yeah. you know, counterculture flower power, you know, period that that was made in, you know. Now I I, I the only the only other three I remember from my list are this uh, I and I, I might have left something else out. Uh, wait a minute. Let me think about it for a minute. Um, I must have had something from the 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 Renis the early Renaissance that we talked about. And I'm not sure if I Little did. Mermaid. I don't know. I don't or, know. Or, or Beauty. Or, or, or would it? Or, or would it have been? Uh, I, I rescue, know. Rescuers uh, Down Under. Really? No, the, no. 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 Well, no. From the standpoint that it was the first feature that utilized digital ink and paint. And yeah, but I, yeah, but I'm looking at. Out. I was looking at bigger, bigger things. Yeah. Let me throw to the ones the these later ones that I do know were on the list. Believe it or not. Um, uh, well, The Simpsons. There's no way you couldn't have The Simpsons on there. And and similarly, believe it or not, on the list is Ren and Stimpy. There's no question sure. that Ren and Stimpy inspired like at least 10 to 15 years, including SpongeBob, of cartoons on TV mm -hmm. uh, that were in its wake. Um, the the I also, of course, put on Toy Story. There's no doubt about and, that. And by the way, we had Bob Camp on uh, uh, a, a couple months ago. Yeah. Hi, Bob. We, we, had a, we, had a, we had a terrific conversation with him. He, he's such a great guy. He is. And I, I hope that 
to have him back on again soon because he sure. he was he was a major major part of uh, uh, of Ren and Stimpy. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, I hope uh, you know. Anyway, Bob has been great on any project he's yeah. worked on and in, and and made it better. Yeah, I, I mean, I just lo- I love his perspective and his sense of humor. It, it's yeah. just fabulous. So yeah. let, let me let me step. Uh, uh, let's let's <laughs> take this forward a little bit because I do want because we you know Jerry you and I could talk for the next six hours and still not exhaust the subject matter. Uh, yeah. But but I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about uh, the state of animated features today. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that there are twenty six feature films uh, from twenty twenty that are in contention for an Academy Award nomination. Right. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a, a, a boiling down to five nominations uh, uh, for the features. Uh, but I, before we start talking about individual films, I I, I want to get a sense from you. And then this is something that's that I've talked about with Al John and uh, in the past uh, and talked with some some other guests that we've had on. But it feels like we're starting to get a lot of films that are looking the same, you know, and I don't know if you're feeling that as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've been feeling that for a couple of years now. I hate to I hate to uh, say a negative or be negative about about studios. I really admire uh, even Pixar. I, I kind of remember when and I love Brave. OK, let's let's go there. OK, yeah. I love Brave. Um, I really do. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, I wasn't the biggest fan of I think it was Cars 2, I think was the one I wasn't the big fan. Well, of. I mean, Cars 2 was the international one. That was a train wreck. What was the one that was uh, that was mostly a Mater movie? That's the one I wasn't crazy. about. I think that was two, though. Um, and uh, but three, I think, was OK. But anyway, that's beside the point. I I I. When Brave came out, I remember thinking to myself, and it's beautiful. I'm thinking about it right now. But the character design, the animation, her hair, everything, know, the whole thing is beautiful. But that said, I kind of remember thinking to myself, ooh, this is not far from what DreamWorks is doing. You know, there's a DreamWorksian quality here that that um, make is making me like Pixar was on this classic. They still are when the right people are on their films. This role of what I call progression. They were each, yes. film, you know, even even Cars Two. I remember there was like innovative visuals in that film, and um, uh, I was getting a little. It just got me that I think the other studios were catching up, and I remember thinking that. And I have to say, obviously, a few years now past that. Um, uh, that's clearly true. Uh, studios like Illumination, again, they may not have the story chops, some some of them, but um, but visually, a lot of these other studios are coming up with, uh, you know, just superior work. I remember when the, uh, the, the films, I don't know if they were nominated for Academy Award, but uh, the films that weren't Disney films like 15 years ago, or maybe it's 20 years ago now, um, uh, the weaker films were, I'm going to say it, junk, like Trumpet of the Swan. You know what I mean? I, mean, I, was remembering, I remember there were these this X number of films out, two or th- a Pixar great one, a Disney great one, and then some really nothing, you know, uh, 2D film or, or something that was really nowhere near the quality of what Disney and the other right. But today, 
when there's five films nominated, um, and at a CIFA, we have 10 films that we nominate, they're pretty damn good. And we may even yeah. leave out a great film because uh, the, the, the quality is just so, so good compared to the, you know, the, the old days. And uh, uh, give me a question because I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah, but you know something? I mean, one, one of the things that I've noticed over the last several years is that a lot of these features are, are basically the characters are humanoid characters. Uh, they're very humanoid. I mean, if you, I'll, I'll just say Raya and the, uh, the, um, Ryan the Last Dragon, um, you know, they have a uh, Aquafina character, and it looks like Aquafina. I mean, it's like, I, I mean, it, it's sort of like, you know, it could just be a live action film. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I, I, you know, uh, Over the Moon, uh, two years or three years ago right. uh, from Netflix. Uh, again, uh, it felt uh, felt like it, this could have been a live action movie with some great special effects. Um, um, I, you know, I, that, that's the feeling I'm getting. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, I have to say, like I watched, and I don't know if you've seen Robin Robin, which is from Ardman. It's a short film that's up for contention for a cat, you know, Academy competition. Uh, and it's a stop motion, you know, Ardman type of film, but it's a funny funny film and it's got great little characters in it that are cartoon characters. You know, Robin Robin is about a Robin's egg that rolls out of the nest and it's found by a group of burglar mice. It's this little family of mice that go burglarizing houses by stealing food, you know, uh, and they adopt this little bird, Robin, who thinks he's a mouse too. You know, and it's just wonderfully done, wonderful character designs. And I sit there and go, that's what animation's all about. Oh, you're totally right. I, I, uh, uh, by the way, I want to give a shout out to uh, Ardman in, in that uh, very not watched by most people are the uh, Shaun the Sheep movies. I oh, they're, they're fabulous. They're, they're, they're incredible. Yeah, they're great. I'm, a huge, I'm a huge fan of Ardman okay. films. They're, they're just wonderful. They're funny as hell. Yeah. Uh, if you really listen to the dialogue, they're, yeah. they're absolutely hilarious. In and, the they, case, and, and in the case of Shaun the Sheep, there's no dialogue. Yeah, yeah. But, it's but, hilarious. but then, but then the, the voice casting in some of the films oh, yeah. is just so spot on. It's, yeah. it's really amazing. But, but getting back to that initial question, I mean, a lot of these feature films films are humanoid characters. Oh, no, you're totally right. And they're, they're, they're pretty much, you know, uh, they've got, we've gotten to that point where you can make a parody of all the animated, you know, CG films these days, because they all follow a certain pattern. Uh, I like, but that said, that said, there's a lot of stuff, you know, that's coming out. That's, uh, breaking the mold, uh, here and there. Um, uh, you know, uh, to look at uh, recently, uh, you know, I was a big advocate 
as I think everybody was the minute they saw it of the Spider-Man movie that won the Oscar. Oh, I, I mean, uh, the, it's really it's it's, it's, fan, it's fantastic. The, and you're talking the animated yes. Spider-Man. It's it's Spider-Man into, into the Spider-Verse. Spider yeah, that, yeah, that was a shock to all of us, because even I, who's a big comic book nut and a big MCU fan, uh, we all thought it was going to be like one of those made direct to video Warner Brothers Batman movies. You know, they've been churning out these sure. superhero yeah. movies direct to video for years and we all I thought oh, it's just going to be a feature length um, you know one of those kind of things and uh, I my, you know everybody my jaw dropped watching I, I was I was in it from the second you see the Columbia logo and it's zapping to all the old Columbia logos and yes what am I and then the the credits end with the, uh, the the comics code authority title and I'm like oh my god I, I was just Take me, you. you yeah. Got me. Oh no, I, I I felt the same way. I I thought it was just innovative. I thought it was visually stunning. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, just every aspect of it. Al John and I have talked about this over the last year, oh, okay. from time to time. Whenever Spider Man comes up, because <laughs> there's so many Spider Man movies out there, you know. Right, right. But but I I have to say this year, um, uh, Mitchell, the Mitchells oh, yeah. versus the Machines, uh, again had that feeling for me yeah. uh, when I watched that I felt it was very fresh and it utilized some traditional animation techniques as well as the CG and it was just beautifully put together um, I I, I and, and I really liked that film a lot uh, whereas some of the other films I kind of felt like you know it's no leap to make a live action of this movie you know, well, you know, you're totally right. I mean, um, uh, you know, I mean, we could go through the ones, at least the ones I've seen. But the thing is, uh, you know, what's different about, you know, uh, I hate to put anything down, but Ron's Gone Wrong is such a generic CG film of today. You know, that's almost like a, a perfect one, you know, in terms of it's uh, just a kind of a generic uh, you know, family film. Um, Enjoyable, though, I have to say. I understand what you're saying. I watched that film uh, recently and I enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, but, but again, there was nothing special about it. Right, exactly. You know? And yeah. if you wanted to, you could have made that a live action movie. That's true. That's true. That's that's what the producers need to keep always keep in mind. What does what makes what we're doing you know, it's not a film you could do in, you know, in live action, or if you did do it in live action, it wouldn't look as good or wouldn't be as special as the way we, we made it. I mean, look, uh, I don't think Encanto is the best film of the year. I liked it a lot way up there on my list. Uh, but, uh, but you could do it in live action, but that said, they did, a, they, they, they made a film, that's unique to it being in animation. They've used every thing you can do in animation to, you know, enhance the, the story, the plot, the music. Uh, so I, I, that's a film that, Look, it, you know what? It's a beautiful film. I mean, the art direction on it is beautiful. Yeah. But but the thing I would say about Encanto was, yes, you could have made it a live action movie if you wanted to. Uh, but the other thing, too, was it felt derivative to me. Uh, you know, the opening of Encanto was sort of like Belle going through the village in Beauty and the Beast. I mean, yeah. honestly, yeah. some of this stuff is becoming a little bit on the derivative side. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Um, 
you know, I again, I haven't seen everything, but a film that we um, uh, at Asifa um, have nom. I think the nominations were announced. I'm pretty sure they were. He says, uh, "No, I think uh, they, they were. They, they were. were okay." Then uh, you know, we in our we have we have two categories: best animated feature and best uh, independent, uh, which technically means anything but the major Hollywood studios. That's correct. What, right. And, yeah. and we, we, we informally call the G kids uh, category, but that's not, not necessarily that, you know, they, they happen to have a lot of the best films most years, but, um, uh, but some other thing can win there. Um, a film we have nominated in that category that's getting a lot of buzz in Hollywood is Bell. I, I, I wonder, did you see that film? Dave? I, I, I have, it's on my list of, of films to watch. And it is, uh, and, and for, for those of our, our listeners, uh, it is a Japanese version of Beauty and the Beast. Well, it's a Japanese version of Beauty and the Beast told through, it's, it's, it's also anime and it's very, and cyberpunk and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, an internet and virtual. It's, 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 a, it's kind of a mushmash of all of that. The visuals in it, part of the movie, I'm not going to do any spoilers, but part of the movie is traditional anime as we always, as we know it, a la Miyazaki. And, and, and the backgrounds on those scenes are gorgeous. The visuals of that. But topping that is they, when they go into this cyber world of the movie, uh, which which I'm going to say is about a third of the film, maybe a little more. um, It's Disney style, not, not, Frank Thomas, Ali Johnson, 40s Disney style, but it's fully animated. Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful. And yeah. um, and I, I, it's a film to see. I will now say it's, uh, I don't see, I don't see it being a winner. It's, I, it's, it's, sub, it's subtitled too. Yeah, I believe there's yeah. an English version, but yeah, it's this. Uh, I saw it subtitled. Al, Al John, you have the list of the variety uh, um, uh, animated features. Yes. Is that is is Bell on there? Bell is uh, one of the ones in the top ten, but it is not according to Variety. It is not. Uh, it's in the top ten, but not the top five. But uh, uh, but it, I am curious though, Jerry. While we while you talk about this, because you have such a background in Japanese animation, going back to like Liquid Television and Vampire Hunter D and all these other things you were involved mm-hmm. in, right? So, uh, what are your thoughts on 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 Bell um, actually cracking that? I would love to see an an anime film uh, crack at it, but even more so than an anime film, I'll get back to your question, but even more so than an anime film cracking that is uh, I'd like to see a non-Hollywood film uh, win the the thing. What I mean by non-Hollywood film is we don't have it this year, but I'd like to see like Tom Moore and those great films from that cartoon saloon, you know, uh, The Secret of Kells and uh, uh, Song of the Sea and Wolf Walker. That guy deserves... An Oscar, I mean, and and his films deserve. One of those films is going to win eventually, and I like to see somebody like that get it. I'd like to see an anime get it. That'll be amazing someday. It won't do, be. Do you, do you think that? You know, let me ask you this, Jerry. Do you do you think aside from uh, animated feature category, should there be an independent animated feature or a uh, you know foreign animated feature category for the Academy Awards? Yeah, I don't know what it would be called exactly unless it was what you said. Uh, but um, I kind of do. Um, 
I don't know. I don't. They'd have to tweak it in such a way that it makes a lot of sense. We we pretty much at Asifa come out completely and go. <laughs> if you know, we have we have we have uh, uh, rules of what makes it a film in the Hollywood one, right? Right. Independent, um, and. I don't. They'd have to figure out figure that out. Now we've got a new world today, where a films obviously in the last two years haven't been released to theaters at all, and they're you know they're streaming direct to streaming. So yeah, and I I wanted to talk about that as well because yeah. I was so disappointed that Luca uh, yeah. and Soul. I, but look, Soul for 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 twenty nineteen or excuse me for twenty twenty. Uh, I, it was completely understandable. I mean, all the theaters were closed and everything, but right. this year the theaters were reopened. The the fact that Luca went direct to do, to streaming as opposed to in the theaters, I thought was a was a real loss for the film. Well, not only that, I'm getting a lot of email because of my blogs and Facebook presence and things like that. I get a lot of email uh, from fans who are asking me what I think of Turning Red, which is the next Pixar film going directly to uh, Disney Plus. Which they right. now announced. Well, they've announced and, that. And, yes. and I haven't heard anybody freak out so much more than this particular film, and I think why. By the way, tell me if I'm wrong about this. Uh, I think first of all, the trailer is so good. The premise yeah. is so good. Yeah. Quite frankly, it reminds me of some older anime series, but that's another story. And I think there's, I think what I call the fan base is a, is attracted to this movie. Yeah. And they and their thinking is. Why is Disney putting it in on Disney Plus and not directly to the theaters? We want it to make money and be big. And like they think that because if it's on Disney Plus, it's an instant. It's the it's the it's the thinking we used to have for direct to DVD. Right. If something goes direct to DVD, it's a bomb. So yes. The thinking is they must think that. But I, I don't think that's the reason. I have a lot of theories on what, what I think it is, why that is. But I, I, by the way, I said ex the exact same thing to Al John a number of weeks ago. It was before the holidays uh, when we were talking about Luca, you know, and then we, we they broke the news that um, uh, uh, red was, uh, turn, turning red or turning red. Was, was going direct to DV, uh, to uh, Disney Plus, and, and frankly, that's exactly the the feeling it has when it goes direct to streaming. There, there's a stink to it. Then I know that's that's too bad. I have a feeling the film is probably as good as we think it is. Uh, by the way, I also believe they will not be going direct to video with. Uh, what is it called? The light, uh, the Buzz Lightyear, the light, light year. Lightyear. No, no, I've already There's seen no the one, way. The, the no one way sheet. That's going yeah. I, I've already seen the one sheets for that at, yeah. at the local movie theater. I saw the know? trailer in the, in a theater with Spider-Man and oh, did you? Wow. people were cheering it. You know, wow. I mean, if they put that director crazy, but I, yeah. it has to do with the, it has to do with money. It also has to do with, um, the content, content for the streaming server. They're trying to attract, the they're, they're trying to attract, uh, uh subscribers. But but also, it also that's the. I mean, I think there's like three or four equivalent reasons, and one of them, not not like one is higher than the other. One, uh, another one must be uh, the the contractual deal with the talent, meaning in this, in the case of an animated film, the voice talent. Uh, you're not going to get any of those Scarlett Johansson situations here. <laughs> They've already bought them out. They can they can use that as content. Um, a friend of mine once, I'm not going to go over it now, but once went broke down the, uh, e the economics of the streaming channel. They make a fortune on that streaming channel. It doesn't matter what the movie costs. 
keeping that those subscriptions going month by month by month yeah. is is a big op- it, it brings them billions of dollars yes and you and when you take a take a movie and you put it in a theater you're taking a risk they know that they're going to make billions of dollars it's not a by a per film it's it's by the whole of the service and uh, the thing is it doesn't matter it just they don't care about the individual content other than it being a lure to keep people subscribed right you know, you'll notice that most of these Star Wars and MCU shows normally there might be an exception normally start at the end of the month of a, of a month they'll be on the last week of the month because they want you to subscribe that month and they want to make sure you're holding that subscription for the next month <laughs> you know what I mean and if you really look carefully at how they're putting on new things it's it's designed to keep you subscribed to the channel Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this is just the new normal. And if yeah. something's great, um, like let, let's just take an example that I like, but uh, I think people uh, concur. Something like The Mandalorian. I, mean, I probably could pick a better example, but but uh, something that becomes a sensation around the country. It, people will find it. People will talk about it. The merchandising is there. The same. It'll, it'll work for them just the way it worked for them releasing it theatrically. They are losing, to me, if they have a, obviously a big hit movie and they put it directly to uh, the service, they're missing out on the profits that they could have had of what it, of what it would have gotten from the movie theaters. But the thing is they're finding is things like West Side Story that didn't make, it, you know, it maybe, I don't even know if it made its money back, It'll, but it will be a big lure for uh, people subscribing to the channel. By the way, I saw West Side Story, Steven Spielberg's West yeah. Side Story yep. in the movie theater. Me too. And I loved it. Me I too. thought it was a spectacular movie. I saw and, it. And, and I, I, again, we've talked about this uh, since I saw it on this podcast. I, Al John and I have had this conversation. This is a gem of a movie that people have missed. Right. And they really need to see this movie because it's so beautifully shot. Yeah, it's beautiful. And and seeing it on the big screen, that's what they're missing. The um, Now they are. Uh, I saw it, uh, I lucked out and saw it at a screening and on the Fox lot of all places. And it was before any any criticism was out there, before Rotten Tomatoes or anybody got to it. So I went into it fresh, other than I had wonderful memories of the original movie and having seen that as a kid yeah. uh, in a movie theater with that opening in New York. And sure. I mean, I mean, I think I saw it somewhat recently at the Academy. They, they did a tribute to it like five years ago or something. And, um, uh, so that movie is kind of perfect. It's one of those movies you go, you know, they really don't have to remake this one, you know? Um, yeah, but, but the- you know something I, I, I thought I, I, I have to say, you know, the original stands on its own, but it was a lot of Caucasian actors That's that true. were, you know, put a lot of, they put brown makeup on. And, and so you've got a contemporary, uh, uh version of the movie that is usually utilizing Latino oh. and right. Afro Latino actors, uh, you know, and uh, it's much more authentic to me, you know? Yeah, and no, it's it's also... I will say it's as good. It certainly doesn't hurt the other one. The other one is, it's like two different takes. I'm always telling people about remakes. I'm saying, you know... You know, Hello Dolly was on Broadway for, you know, 10 years or something and had 10 different casts. You know, there's no harm in a, another take on a particular uh, play like this. Um, uh, by the way, I, I, one of my lines after seeing West Side Series, I wish you would have I wish you would have remade like MAME. 
you know, because, you know, a, a musical that didn't quite work as a movie, you know, because Game is a great musical, but it's like, it was ruined, you know? Yeah. And um, the, uh, you know, and I, I feel that way about, uh, I can get us back to animation because I feel that way a little bit about the, uh, the Disney live action remakes and things. Uh, one of my big lines is, is I wish they would, do the Black Cauldron as a live action film? They, they really should. They they should look mm -hmm. at it and and, uh, and you I, know I, what would be fun? Uh, Sword yeah. in the Stone. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I agree. All right. Listen, uh, we're bumping up on time, but I want to get your take on of the animated features from 2020. What do you think out of this 26 are going to be the five nominations? Well, what I think and what, you know, there's always the classic, what do you think and what do you, what will, you know? Sure, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what would I pick? What well, well, I pick? What, what do you think it will be? And then wh which one would you really wish would be in there but isn't going to be? No, here's what's probably going to be. I don't 100% know what will be. No, no, but we're, this is all speculation. We're, handi we're handicapping the race. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I got to tell you, I'm, this, 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 I'm looking at a list myself and, and there's – it's it's really hard. Uh, I think Mitchell's versus the machines will be in there, and I will. And, and I think Encanto, Raya, and Luca. Well, there you go. You're you're right? taking the words out of my mouth. Yeah. Um. Uh. uh Encanto. Yeah. I mean, Atasifa. It again. I know what you're thinking. Uh, we we actually you know gave the fifth slot in that category to sing. Too unbelievably, but I will tell you that uh, I think for the Academy with only five, you, you've answered. We've answered the question. Is probably the fifth might be Bell. If anybody sees yeah. Bell, you'll be surprised how visually. Uh, to answer your question, by the way, uh, on Bell, um, the problem with Bell. This is my opinion. Uh, meaning others might not feel this way, is that one of the things about anime uh, that they, they really love uh, in anime is what I call teen angst, you know? <laughs> yeah. Am I right about this? Yes. And yeah. so a third of this movie is teen angst, and it's like the lead character. She just can't bring herself to tell the boy he's she's in love with him, and uh, that kind of thing. And it's like, gee, um, you know, this it's also two hours long, and if they cut out the teen angst, it's actually really good. There's a lot of good stuff in here, <laughs> but the, the teen angst really goes on too long. And I think that hurts the film on the whole now. Uh, but I do think, again, I don't know, you know, back in the day when we, when the Academy members would watch these, especially the foreign films, they'd see them in a theater in the, you know, in one of the private schools. Right, right. And so you'd see these things. I don't know who's looking at this stuff today and, and how. I know that. Um, well, I can tell you exactly because I'm in the Academy and yeah. uh, the Academy has their own streaming service, the right. Academy Screening Room. Right. And so you pretty much can watch anything. And I've been literally. And now, John, you're going to be shocked because uh, we'll we'll talk about this next week. But I I literally just since the last last week, I've watched uh, the Sparks Brothers, the real Charlie Chaplin. I've watched all three episodes of The Peacemaker. I watched the <laughs> documentary The Velvet Underground. I've watched Ron's Gone Wrong. I went to see Scream in the theater, uh, and I've just finished watching Val. So that that was just in the last. 
last week. <laughs> I have seen most of those movies, not all, but most of them. By the way, I want to ask you quickly, uh, is Sparks movie good? Because I want to see it. I love the Sparks Brothers I mean, okay. uh, documentary. Okay. Um, what did you think of the Velvet Underground? No, I didn't see that. It's one of the ones oh. I see. Okay. So for me, the Velvet Underground is not going to be for everybody. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, it, 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 it's very avant-garde. Uh, it's very much in the, they're utilizing a lot of the Andy Warhol movie footage, mm-hmm. which is people staring at cameras and not doing anything. Uh, so if you're, you know, listen, I liked it because I like Lou Reed. I like the Velvet Underground. I like Andy Warhol, the factory, that period of time, you know, Max's okay. Kansas City and all of that. But um yeah, I went on a binge of watching a lot of documentaries this past week. I thought the real Charlie Chaplin was a was an excellent uh, documentary on Charlie Chaplin, okay. uh, and that's right. worth for people to see. I do want to uh, say to people, if you haven't seen The Mitchells versus The Machines, check it out. It's on Netflix. It's really a a wonderful film. I think you really enjoy it if you love animation. Uh, And Luca, uh, I'm just uh, beside myself. I've said this so many times to Al John. I'm beside myself that I couldn't see that on a big screen in in a theater because it is such a beautifully art directed film, and it's 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 just a wonderful film. Yeah, I think uh, I think the I think the real race will be between something like Mitchell's and Encanto, and it's hard for me to tell how the voters are going to go because if you really haven't seen it, what always happens is voters will you know just pick the Disney film or you know or if they well, do which I hate I hate that. I know you I know. know I mean so, uh, honestly I think Ryan the Last Dragon is oh, I like strong, that a lot. stronger I, of the I agree two with, movies. I agree yeah. with you too, but for some reason I think. I think Disney's pushing Encanto more, but I could be wrong about that. Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, I I agree with you. I think Raya is the best of the trio, which includes Luca from the Disney company. Yeah. I I agree with you on that. I like Raya a lot. I think I saw it twice. And Mitchell's is my personal favorite. Yeah, same here. We're we're actually trying to get the filmmakers on. I don't know if we're going to do it, but uh, we've been... Lord Lord and Miller are great. I know them personally, and I... uh, and I, uh, they, they are on a roll and they know what they're doing. They're the guys, their first thing, uh, I mean, they go back in animation. I can give you their whole story, but the, uh, but they're, people forget they did Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which, right. which really was the first film to introduce what I call cartoony animation, stretch and squash. Yes. They, that film was a kind of a pioneer of that. And, um, and a very uh, fun movie. And not, and then of course there's their next foray into this was the Lego movie. And then and then they did Spider-Man and now they did Mitchell's. I mean, they're the producers on Mitchell's. But the thing is, there's a sensibility that goes through all of those films. Sure. It's those guys. Keep your eye on whatever they're doing in animation. And as you may know, they also do live action movies and TV series. So they really they really got something going there. Uh, They're uh, by the way, just for the record, they're both from the animation world. Uh, I personally met them when they came out to Hollywood and their first job was at Disney Television, and I was working there at that same exact time, and uh, uh, and that's how I met them, and um, we've been friends ever since. But they're they're really good, really great guys, and uh, real down to earth and everything. And obviously, they got a great great talent. Anyway, all right. 
so Jerry, I'm going to say we've going to, we're, we're going to, we're bumping up against our, our time here. Uh, and, and our show is always run over. I mean, it's because we have great guests like you. Uh, that's I right. have a problem. If you ask me a question, I will give you a three hour answer. That's my problem. <laughs> well, listen, it's been fantastic having you on the show. And uh, I absolutely want to have you back periodically just to talk about the business and talk about, we can focus in on some of the stuff. I, I think our audience would love to hear a little bit more about the Popeye the Sailor cartoons and uh, Fleischer Brothers and what what happened. You know, it's so amazing to me with the Fleischers and Disney competitors at the same time, how choices that each made mm-hmm. sort of, you know, one skyrocketed and the other crashed and burned, you know, and uh, and it's really, you know, so, such a, a crazy story to, to talk about. But anyway, uh, I want to thank you for being on the Skull Rock podcast. We're going to have you back uh, again this year, a couple months out. I want to have you back two or three times, honestly, I have to tell you. you know? Every time, because uh, I can talk about all those subjects and happy to talk about them with you. Your attention, please. Now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. That was a great primer into what to catch you know, for the Oscars. Yeah, for sure. you know, and I got to say, you know, Jerry is just a terrific guy. Just love talking with him. He's so knowledgeable, not just about Disney animation, but about animation in general, which is, you know, just really terrific. It's just so, so much fun to chat with him. Absolutely. And Wow, what an amazing show. We've got more great, amazing shows lined up uh, in the coming weeks and just a whole backlog of just amazing archived content. So please feel free to check it out. We had some amazing interviews over the past couple of weeks. In fact, you and I, we talked about uh, Roy Roy E. Disney uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then uh, we had uh, we had Puppet Tunes. We we're talking about that uh, just last week. So please check out the Arnie Leibovit uh, show that we did last week, and the rest of the great content we have for you in the archives. Feel free to shoot us an email. We would love that as well, as we will make it part of our episode. Uh, Aljon at SkullRockPodcast.com or David SkullRockPodcast.com as well. Follow us on all the social. We love that as well. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And Dave, you've got the final word. As always, peace and love to everybody out there. Uh, you know, we, we're, we're in the middle of this surge, so please stay safe, mask up when you're out. Uh, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again right here next week on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Goh, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel, vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise disney park trip adventures by disney 
they can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan. I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host the Disney List Podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, co-host of Dining at Disney Podcast. Every week I chat about dining at Disneyland and Walt Disney World Resort and Disney Cruise Line with my fellow foodie, Bubba. We also feature restaurants and food reviews, information to help you plan your dining, Disney food news, recipes, and a monthly panel discussion. Visit DiningAtDisney.com and subscribe to Dining at Disney Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Dining at Disney Podcast, the happiest plate on earth.